sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. It's most certainly is. It is most certainly professional wrestling. And this is the number one sports and recreation podcast in the world. Welcome to Cheap Heat. I am your former forever 24-7 champion. I am in New York City. I am currently joined. We'll start off in Philadelphia. The physically large stat guy, Greg. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm I'm very good. A lot to talk about. A lot of big things going on. I mean, we're coming off of a very interesting smackdown between uh, Roman Reigns and John Cena. And then, of course, we got to come right out of the gate and show love to Matt Cardona and Nick Gage, who are the talk of the wrestling world starting this weekend. And, man, it continued for Nick Gage last night on AEW. So there's a lot to talk about, SGG. Is there anything going on outside the ring? Um, it was recently announced that a Vince McMahon ep- uh, television show based on the steroid ch- trial was coming soon. I believe it was Bloomfield Entertainment. I think I saw the article in Variety. Bloomhouse. Bloomhouse. Excuse me. Bloomhouse Entertainment. I think I saw the article in Variety that uh, they brokered a deal and we are finally going to get a, a series of some sort scripted about possibly the most interesting thing to happen uh, to Vince McMahon outside of the ring um, that we know of, let's say, because <laughs> it is because it is. Vince. I'm sure there, I'm sure other people have some stories, but probably the most interesting thing that I know of um, the early 90s steroid trial. It, it And I wonder how much of the show will be based and steeped fully in that and how much will also relate to just the Vince McMahon story because they could take that, you know, like, for example, we saw yesterday a trailer came out that looks really good for the Richard Williams uh, story about yep. Serena and Venus Williams becoming tennis icons, but the story... It's really a it's a Richard Williams movie. It's named King Richard. He's not it's not even any right, secret like, about it. it. They're coming right after it being like, no, this is a a story about Richard Williams. But of course, it's also the Williams sisters story. So you wonder whether this themed, you know, the United States versus Vince McMahon, how much of it is just about the trial and how much of it is the Vince McMahon story through the trial? I guess we'll find out as we get closer. 
Yeah, I feel like they have to lean some some into the the story through the trial because if it's just the trial, I mean, people have transcripts. It, it can only get so interesting. But a little bit of peek of what was happening for him at that time behind the scenes that fans may not know or, or have heard about. I and, think and, is, and, and, have to and who knows? It could also have flashbacks the whole time, right? Like it could be, it could really be a lot of different stuff depending how they want to move. So. Interesting to see how it plays out, especially because it's going to be through WWE. So how much is it a protected story? How much do they really let the guard down? We won't know, I guess, until we get closer. Um, But it is, listen, anything Vince McMahon is frankly some of the most interesting stuff you can do about WWE. Yeah, it's crazy that he's so protected. Like, he's been in the entertainment industry for you know my whole life oh i guess what like 40 50 years now but he hasn't done these things that you would expect somebody who has been around and is so visible to have done like he hasn't done the the movie about himself he hasn't done the tell-all book he hasn't he hasn't done anything as much as we see him and and know about him he's also still like a really guarded figure yeah so that'll be that'll be fascinating anything else going on outside sgg um, that was all I had outside the ring. But as you mentioned, we have a lot of big, big stuff that happened inside the ring that we definitely need to talk about. Well, I, I sent a text yesterday um, to the group chat saying, you know, what does what do, we've been we've been talking about the growing war between WWE and AEW and what that means and what it looks like. And the rumors now about Punk and Brian, which now seem to be more than rumors. It seems to basically be said that they are coming probably in September, probably to that New York show, which we've already talked about how much that will elevate AEW. But I will tell you, SGG, I believe that so far, this is my hot take of the day, and it's not a hot take, it's just how I feel. But I think last night, was so far the crowning moment for AEW because so, um, because not only did we get this gory um, death match between Chris Jericho and Nick Gage on TV, and it was incredibly entertaining, but SGG, to me, I don't know how you felt. To me, the thing that made me go, wow, in the words of the great Vince McMahon, that's good-ish, is the fact that they plucked Nick Cage, Nick Gage, sorry, not Nicolas Cage, he's not in the match. He might be on the way, he might be on the way. Who knows, who knows, he could be. They took Nick Gage straight out of the hottest thing on the internet that was like the internet wrestling conversation and dropped him right in the main event the same week, to me was the most genius thing that they've done so far. That, to me, is something that you you really got to sit back and go, man, give credit where credit is due. That was a really smart play. And then after you're sitting there watching, and they didn't go half-ass. Did you watch the match yet? I, I saw some highlights. I know. <laughs> I saw Goldstein's text about, you know, the pizza cutter being broken out right as they 
cut to a Domino's commercial. It's, I feel like a lot of smart decisions were made around that match because that's that's just genius. I saw. So <laughs> it really is. So Jericho didn't half-ass it. It wasn't like we have Nick Gage. He'll take all the real tough spots, and Jericho will coast. No, no, no. Jericho took the 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 light bulbs to the head. Jericho, he he was a bloody mess. He Jericho took the pizza cutter to the forehead. Jericho did all this stuff and was a bloody mess. And then as he's laying in a bloody heap, MJF, whose story has been that essentially he's running Jericho through a gauntlet of opponents, and Jericho has to win all of these matches in order to get MJF again. And, you know, it's a seemingly predictable story, right? Like, Jericho's going to make it through all of these things and eventually get MJF. How can you make this interesting? Well, the Nick Gage thing was crazy enough. What was the match last week? What was the because I, I saw some of it. What was the Jericho match last week? You might have to ask Dip that one. I'll pull. I'll pull it up. But at the end of this one, while he is a bloody heap, laying there in the middle of the ring, MJF comes out and announces that next week he will go up against Juventud Guerrero. And the way that they announced it. Uh, and last week's was Sean Spears. So they started out with pretty basic. Okay, they started out light. They started out light. Um, and, and that was Fighter Fest Part 2. And they gave you Jericho versus Sean Spears. Then, they, then we find out that Nick Gage was this week. And then next week, and they did it in a really cool way, where basically they showed uh, MJF goes... You know, I hold a grudge. And they cut to last week where Jericho says to Hoover, to uh, to MJF, you know, your parents must have gotten turned on when they saw one of my matches with Hoovy. And he goes, who's Hoovy? <laughs> and and Jericho, found him. Jericho says, Google him. And it cuts back and MJF goes, well, I Googled him and I found him. You have. <laughs> and I was like, man. They, in one fell swoop, tapped into the hottest thing on the internet right now, and then as you're into that, they go, boom, nostalgia bomb, right in your face for next week. SGG, even you, the most critical of all things AEW, have to be impressed with that. Listen, it's smart. As much as we criticize them for hyping up something and then not delivering, a lot of the time, this one where they went the other way and just didn't hype and just presented as this is what it's going to be, I think that's the way to go for them. Under-promise and over-deliver. Because even Hooventude, you know, that simple interaction probably does set the stage for us to be reminded of why we all liked Hoovy 20 years ago. Because, I mean, we all did in WCW, even in WWE. And then he sort of disappeared. So if he still got it, him and Jericho can put on a banger that won't be like their previous because they're just older and probably different. But it will be like, it will be very different from the previous matches that Jericho did through this labor with MJF, which also, like you said, it, even though we know the story is predictable, he is going to get MJF in the end. But by making him run through a different series of challenges, it, it makes Jericho up his game. Mm. Whew. 
Very interesting stuff last night. And it's also tough, too, because, you know, WWE right now is not in a position where they can, where they have the option to even do stuff like happen, what happened last night. Well, they won't, right? Like Vince McMahon has famously said he's not interested in doing like the blood and guts. So like a death match to that extent is not happening on WWE television. And if you're a 25-year-old to 35-year-old wrestling fan, what 25 to 35-year-old young man who's into wrestling, which is the core of, you know, such a huge part of the demo, who doesn't want that kind of blood and guts? That That's what people love that stuff. Uh, it's not for kids. It may not be for the oldest fans, but for that little sweet spot of your demo. Uh, man, I was watching it like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'm seeing on TNT. And, and, and AEW does not have nearly as many masters to serve. You know, they have their Turner deal. They have a, some sponsorships here. But they're not dealing with the Peacock, Fox, uh, USA, the, all these different masters plus the sponsors. The, you know, you know. yesterday, for example, I got in the mail a collaboration between BarkBox and WWE. I saw that. I didn't even think that that would have been a thing. I mean, literally, dog toys and treats. Not even just the toys, which, by the way, terrify Bear. He has no interest. But the treats, which he loved. <laughs> They're doing a whole bark box thing, which, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that's great business, you know, sure. But when it comes to just getting to have, uh, you know, wrestling fans, fans really get excited and feel the blood rush. You know, that's that's a tough, tough thing to battle with. And this was coming off of, you know, not a great Raw, but I thought a really strong SmackDown. Um, I loved the Roman. I thought Roman played the, the John Cena angle perfectly, the, like, we're sick of this tired act. I don't even want to have a match with you. Yep. I'm, I'm fully in on Roman and fully think Roman is as good a thing as there is in the business today. But Roman can't, it can't all be Roman. Roman is is one to two segments a week. And, you know, Baron Corbin is doing, I think, the best work of his career. He's hilarious. So you it got, is so funny. You got the funny spot with Baron, which is great and is really going to make his character impactful. And you have the Roman thing, which is great. And you have Big E building. Um, and I think that's going a good direction. And and SGG, I don't know that I remember ever a wider gap between SmackDown and Raw. SmackDown is really clearly and so definitively the A show. Yeah, and and it, this is not the first time in SmackDown's history where it's been the A show over Raw. I mean, when you think about the SmackDown Six, and even when you know SmackDown Live redebuted and Dean Ambrose was champion, there was a time when you could say, "All right, SmackDown was better than Raw this week," but it was like a little bit better, or it edged it out. But, you know, it's just crazy that even with Bobby Lashley also doing some compelling stuff on Raw and just being really dominant, SmackDown is just like miles ahead of where Raw is right now. And, and you know, listen, I think that 
people may be too hard on Goldberg. Um, like it, just in terms of, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't, I'm not a huge Goldberg fan. I don't really pop big to see Goldberg the way some do. Um, but also people will act as if there's nothing interesting about him and Lashley and Lashley beating Goldberg. It, it will help solidify Lashley. There, it's, it, there's something there and getting to see MVP and all those dudes, you know, rub up against Goldberg. There's, there's good to me. There is worthwhile stuff there. But, man, Roman gets Cena, and Bobby gets Goldberg, because Bobby versus Cena would be great, too. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, right? Does Roman get Cena? Because on SmackDown, we saw he said he's not interested, and then Finn Balor comes out, and Finn Balor makes the challenge. And and quite honestly, it has my wheels turning about if there's even some connection between Finn and Cena that we don't know yet, that hasn't played out yet, right? Because even Roman alluded to it, and you've said this before, but Cena coming out and doing the same old stuff, it's entertaining. He's playing the hits. They're hits for a reason, but we want to see more. So we need that extra wrinkle in his character. And the first thing he did when we saw him come back was throw up a two-sweet to the camera. Finn has been known to throw up a two-sweet as well. Now, maybe I'm reaching, but maybe... You know, there's some connection between Finn and Cena that hasn't played out yet. Maybe that's the extra wrinkle in Cena's character that's gonna gonna earn him a spot in a match with Roman because you know Cena as is right now, Roman's already beat him, and that was before he was fully developed as like the tribal chief, most unstoppable force in the wrestling industry. Man, 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 man. It is an interesting, interesting moment in that regard. And Raw came out of the gate, SGG, in a really surprising way. Um, they opened the show with Nikki, A.S.H., and Charlotte um, doing like 15 minutes of talking. Um, I, I, I did not, coming off of such a big week, that was a weird choice, I thought. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, you alluded to this earlier, too. It it may make good business sense just because, um, you know, Nikki A.S.H. was on Ryan Satin's podcast, Out of Character, and she talked about what went into her pitch for developing this character. And she mentioned, you know, she researched female-led superhero movies and how successful they were in the box office and that was a part of her pitch, and I'm sure, which included uh, more than just the cash talk, but <laughs> if that was part of her pitch, you have to be thinking that, all right, well, we need to develop this character in a way that's going to make some good business sense, that's going to make us some money. So, you know, with that lens on, I can understand why they would give Nikki A.S.H. A, the title, but B, more time in front of the crowd to sort of um, build that rapport and, and make that connection. But, you know, removing that context, which I didn't have right away, yeah, I agree with you. That is just like it it was an odd choice, especially when you have MVP and Bobby Lashley as an act who was so hot that And you, know, you just know you just know their opening segment the can, can 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 keep you there and can hold you yeah. early. Um yeah. did you have a moment on Raw that like you took anything away from? I know people were obviously talking about um <laughs> Everyone wanted, everyone wanted Karrion Cross to get a win back. Well, he got one back. Yeah. 
<laughs> but of course, it was over Keith Lee, so you have people who are going to be unhappy about it no matter what. Yep, <laughs> they didn't want him to lose either. Uh, I, when it was announced that Jeff Hardy um, got COVID, I believe that's why he's out, and that he couldn't continue the storyline with Karrion Cross. I thought they were going to hit reset. I thought because it was early enough where like somebody else could just come in, get the surprise win, and then take over the story that they were developing for for Jeff Hardy. Um, that probably would have would have made people go bananas. It probably would have caused an uproar. But if that was my if that was my decision, that's what I would have done. Just hit reset. Somebody else gets a surprise win, and then we keep the story going. Right. Well, obviously that doesn't seem li- likely considering the rumor was, at least I- I'm sure you read this too that. At NXT tapings, people were chanting Hardy, so they re they recut a cross segment. I did not hear this. <laughs> yeah, that I, I saw that somewhere, which to me I didn't really understand because I'm like, if people are chanting Hardy, I lean into that. Like yeah. I, again, here's the one thing I do not understand by everyone who's angered by it, and why I don't understand why you'd even have to hide from it. Hardy cheated. Right. He cheated. He didn't <laughs> right. win fair. So chanting that at Cross, like, it should just fuel his character. Like, really? I get cheated, and now you guys are taunting me for being cheated? Right. I do not see – listen, I've had many disagreements with the wrestling internet before, but this one I really don't understand. Um and now Karrion Cross comes back and gets a strong win against Keith Lee. I wonder now whether they move on or whether they try to keep something going between Karrion Cross and Keith Lee on Raw. Who knows? Who knows? Or if they even go back to Karrion Cross and Jeff Hardy when Jeff Hardy's able to come back. Because, you know, another thing I think that was lost in all this is that is that it was Jeff Hardy. Yes, he cheated, but this is also Jeff Hardy. So if the crowd is chanting Hardy at Karrion Cross, you can make that I'm- into something good. Yeah, you can, because, like, it's not like Jeff Hardy, they were trying to develop him either. Like, this is a guy who, when he came back at WrestleMania with his brother, after a long hiatus away from WWE, they got one of the most insane pops that I've ever heard in my life. Prior to that, when he was on his strong WWE run, he was bigger than CM Punk, as big as John Cena, Bigger than Edge, like this is this is not a slouch we're talking about. So if anything, carrying cross association with him, especially if the story ended with him just dominating and obliterating him, was nothing, nothing but positive. It was a it was a total net positive. I don't understand people's just obsession with not seeing things through, at least to the halfway point. This was like the very beginning opening moments of whatever story they were gonna tell. Um, I'm I'm looking through the rest of the show, the the only other thing, the, the things that stand out to me is worth note. Um, John Morrison sneaks a win on Riddle because uh, of a distraction with AJ and Omos, which is a little confusing, by the way. What's going on? Like, is that supposed to be a lead? That's supposed to lead us to an RK bro thing? Potentially, possibly. Um, I don't understand what AJ and Omos's issue with Riddle was in the first place, but whatever the whatever the issue is, Riddle, well, no, uh, apparently AJ Omos clash, so. apparently Omos just really has an issue with scooters. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe Omos realized that Riddle was the one who sprayed him with the with the drip stick 
I believe that was at the pay-per-view or in a tag team match. Um, and the Miz took the blame. I got lit up by the drip stick. You don't see me making a whole thing out of it. <laughs> right. At, by the way, when we did the uh, when when Miz and Morrison came up to the kickoff show and he showed up spraying everyone and got me wet. But then when they went when they tossed down to ringside to go to the match and Miz and Morrison left the set, but the whole live crowd still watching them, Miz just lit me up with the drip stick from one foot away. <laughs> That just, was just for the people around. Just for the people there. Like my whole suit was wet. My face was wet. Like he just absolutely lit me up. By the way, if you haven't seen it on the kickoff show, it's very funny. And they've done this with Miz a couple of times now. When he's in the wheelchair, he'll just come up to the kickoff desk and stay in the wheelchair. So he's like a foot too low. It's very funny. I will say this. There's a lot of issues right now. But the comedic stuff that's attempting to be done between Corbin and the Corbin Fund, Miz mm-hmm. in the wheelchair. Which I'm still looking to donate to. Yeah, I, no, I, I already did. I gave a lot of money to the Corbin Fund already. I think it's an important cause. When you look at the Corbin Fund stuff, you look at Miz in the wheelchair, and you look at uh, Riddle. They're, they're actually doing humor as well as it's been done in some time. Yeah, especially so, Miz with the wheelchair. Like That's one of my favorite things. I remember a couple of weeks ago there was um, a Miz and Morrison entrance where – John Morrison did the slow-mo, and then the wheelchair started to roll down the ramp in, <laughs> in slow-mo. Oh, I got to see that. Really? I got. I didn't notice that. I got to find it for you. It's, it, that's very good stuff. The problem is not humor, though. We need the things that get us hyped. So uh, we'll see if, if they're able to find some things like that and if that's even a real a real thing. You know, I mean, we were just having the conversation in the group chat. You know, ultimately, you know, is is it's gonna get tough, man. It's gonna get tough to like Zach weighed in the chat and just said that I, you know, that same thought of, hey, listen, WWE is Disney. They will always be on top. The interesting part to me is WWE being Disney is exactly what hurts them with the real core wrestling fans. And you can't rely on the outsider fans who make you more broad. You need to make sure your core is satisfied because that whole idea of they don't have anywhere to go, that changes when you have competition. That's that's what that's where the problem is in essence. Yeah, I think the pro- I think the other thing too is that like I feel like the core is changing of what it means to be a wrestling fan right under our noses. Hmm. You know what I go mean? Go ahead, tell me more. Just because you know, with AEW, they cater to some things that it seems to be not exactly nostalgia, but it's just their values harken back to like an era that we all grew up on and we loved. And I don't know if the wrestling fan today is trying to take that in such heavy doses as we would have back in the day where like we needed that all day, every day. And then in terms of the growth for WWE too, like you're right. WWE is not necessarily focusing on that audience. But if they're focusing on the money piece of it, I don't know how much they even care about that audience. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like they don't even care to think about focusing on that core audience that that sort of built them and launched them into the stratosphere and the attitude era. Well, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, so you may be right. There may be some fans who don't need a heavy dose all the time. But the thing is, 
you'll be able to give those people the stuff that they need. Like they're there, they have yeah. a good time. They like the they like the new characters. They like um you know, they like some of the things about the new WWE, right? Like there are things that are that are a win. I'm not taking that away. The the um increased inclusion, the emphasis on women's division. All of those things are good. And you don't have to take away from those things at all to also compete with the hardcore fans. Yeah, that's the thing, though, right? That balance. And and when you look at it like that, I feel like WWE and AEW are both failing at striking that balance between, like you said, the inclusion and, you know, the representation in terms of Black wrestlers, Latinx wrestlers, and, and the women's division, and also giving the people what we grew up on like that little that little hit that little dose i feel like both companies are are failing to find that balance well i mean listen in aw aw has time to figure out the other pieces as long as they continue to win people over with that wrestling stuff like right now they're able to like they're able to grab people who are not as excited about what they've been getting from WWE, then you get this like opportunity to be like, yo, I'm going to see straight blood and guts main event. You're able to grab people's attention quickly and you have a little bit more room. And let's be real because they're doing that. And because WWE has been the number one choice for so long, they're able to take advantage of how many people are just excited for an alternative, no matter what that alternative is. Right. So being the counter thing is a win. Boom, they already have that. There's a reason that their crowd is a lot easier to please currently than the WWE crowd because half half of it for them is just being there and having the alternative. <laughs> right. They show up to the building and they're like, yo, I can't believe I'm at a wrestling show that's not WWE. I'm happy. <laughs> right, they walk in happy. They walk no, in happy. no real expectations either. It's like... Very open-minded. But let me ask you this. Um, because Vince McMahon got panned a, a lot when he made the comment about, you know, TNT allowing blood and guts and sponsors for AEW. And then he um, sort of doubled down on it and alluded to it again in the in the investors' call earlier today. Do you think the fans, are like, say AEW continues down this road of giving, like, the gory, bloody matches and moments and it costs them with sponsors like can can the fans sort of like fill that void and keep them afloat when when they're losing because i mean at the end of the day it's the it's a business too like the fans we show up for the pro wrestling and the graps and and all that but it's the wrestling business and you got to think that the the guys behind the scenes are just as concerned with you know where those money's coming from and getting it in as many different ways as they can as they are with putting on a nice match for the people. Well, Tony Khan's father's net worth is $8 billion. So even if you're running a business in which, let's just uh, let's just make this up, and, and I am fully making this up. <laughs> right. Even in a world where they were to lose a few million a year, which I can't imagine is the case right now. They got their TV yeah. deal. They're doing well. They're selling pay-per-views. 
They're selling, t- they're selling hard tickets. They're selling merch. They're doing good. But even in a world in which they were to lose a few million dollars a year, yo, they could get away and do that for 10 years and 30 million? <laughs> That's light. That's truly light. And they don't have all these shareholders to please. They don't have all these partners to please. So if it's any, if it's just as simple as Tony Khan's like, Dad, I want to run this thing. This is my dream. This is what I want to do. And his dad's like, yo, man, you're doing good. You're putting on a good show. You're having fun. You're making some money. Oh, you might lose for a couple years here. We're good. It, it's, it's a different level of money, too. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean... You would want the sponsorships to kick in and help help with some of that, but like, and by the way, there so could know, be like others. The do- there could be other sponsors, SGG. Sorry not to cut you off, but there could also be other sponsors. Even if let's say there was a rumor that we heard today that Domino's uh, was like, oh, we we don't we we Domino's was reportedly offended by the the pizza cutting business. Yeah, you don't want to lose Domino's for sure, but like they could go after the more edgy sponsors you could be pushing more energy drinks and find other there's other places for them to potentially go as they can show sponsors hey yeah we're not a quote family friendly product but look what we do 18 to 34 men this is what we are and even in a world where they go hey we're not going to run 8 to 10 we're going to run 9 to 11 they have options i mean so listen i just think i hate hearing someone like zach say WWE is good they can't lose that ain't the attitude even if it turned out to be true just from a content product quality standpoint that's not the attitude the attitude needs to be man and by the way I truly believe I don't know what the demarcation is of where Vince McMahon would go okay now I want to prove something but even if he was successful and doing well I think at some point it would start to irk him if the known, as much as people say, you know, Dave LaGreca will rant, Vince McMahon hates wrestling, he doesn't care. Yo, at some point, Vince McMahon is going to feel disrespect if it's a given that they have the number two wrestling product, even if they're doing okay business-wise. I think at some point that would sting. Especially if Vince is as petty as, as we the fans have been led to believe he is at some point that petty gene is just going to kick in. Like you said, he's going to have something to prove and his foot is going to go on the neck of whoever it is that that made him feel that I would, I would hope so happen. And you know, it's a blurry line between petty and, and, and competitive. Um, But I, I hope that they decide to really put the pedal to the metal and, you know, hopefully, they're able to find success in Roman Reigns being a monster heel star and Bobby Lashley on Raw being that. But here's the thing. At some point, those stories become meaningless if you don't have that babyface challenger that people are excited about and want to see win. At some point, you he Roman ruling on top for three years without a story with someone, and Cena's not, frankly not enough. No, not even close. Cena can't pop back for a month. They do a fun story. I think we all hope and assume Roman goes over Cena too. So Roman goes over Cena, let's say. We hope that the person could be Big E. We don't know yet that that person's Big E. 
But who is that person who really ignites people? You know, who's going to quote unquote, as we've heard a million times, reach for that brass ring and show us a character that could really add edge. And I'll add another piece to it. When John Cena leaves in September, and as he walks out the door, on the way in, he's walking out to one building, he's walking out of one building, and and CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and potentially Brock Lesnar are walking into another building. Yeah. My thing is this. Who can WWE pull that would make people go nuts? Because we saw rumors last week The Rock could be back for Survivor Series. Right, so that's definitely one name that they could, pull. and that'll and that would no doubt be fun and serve a purpose. Although, again, much like John Cena, I'm a, I'm gonna say this: I would want to see Rocky try to come in and do something a little bit different than "I'm back, I got the goosebumps." Let me just blatantly call out now. With Roman, you have a much more built-in story, <laughs> right? If he does that with Roman, even if it's the same old thing, it is a completely different game. That's true. That should be very helpful. Because even if it's even if your cousin does the same old thing, it's like because then they're like the two top dogs in the family. That family element automatically comes into play. So that would be very entertaining. Um, however, we all have to admit that Rock and Cena coming back, both are great. Neither will have the oh my god factor of a CM Punk return, or in, in Daniel Bryan's case, him switching companies. Right, like. Daniel Bryan being the number one indie darling of all time, deciding to leave WWE (laughs) after his epic run, and then he walks into the, quote, big indie place. So, like, let me put it this way. CM Punk going to AEW is not as exciting as if CM Punk had come back to WWE, but it's balanced out because Daniel Bryan going to AEW is more exciting than Daniel Bryan coming Mm -hmm. back to WWE. Yeah. So WWE needs to come up with something else. I suggested that uh, we, we, were, we did a guest spot on our friend uh, our friends the Black Rosslyn podcast, which you can go listen to. And I suggested to you guys that I, I don't hate the breaking the stone cold Steve Austin glass. No pun intended, but damn it pun intended. I think I'm not talking about a one time you announce that he's coming back. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin appreciation night. That's not what I mean. I mean, you find a way for Steve Austin to be involved in a story for six months. To me, that really could, in a way that it feels really real, like he's back for the first time, that to me is potentially very exciting. More so than Undertaker, which is probably the more likely glass break I think that we all know that Undertaker's best matches are behind him and he's not nearly the mic presence Steve Austin is no I mean who who is though there's like four people you can even not even four is a lot I feel like maybe three that you could even say on the mic is the presence that Steve Austin is and I don't want to hear people starting to be oh, well, all they do is retread old people that's what we love man People yeah. love retreading old people. I don't. Yeah. Sammy Zayn could go get Bret Hart. You know, like bring people <laughs> back because the truth is, you're not going to have a lot of options when it comes now to stealing huge names. And I and I really hope the the route to that to, they go is not like MMA, 
because it just doesn't have the same. I mean, Ronda coming back will be good. At some point, she'll come back. Yeah. That'll be good. But she's pregnant, so we have that could be, I don't know, a year and a half off, two years. Who knows? Yeah, because it's got to train and like get back in. And decide that she's ready to go back to work. and uh, So yeah. uh, who knows? She could want to raise a kid for a few years. We have no idea. Becky will come back at some point soon. That's great. But where do they go? And this is what I'll ask the Cheap Heat universe. Where do they go? Because we can't make up a story about them changing their writing. That'll either just happen or not, that people will decide to, in my opinion, let these guys and girls go. Like, th- that's the reason I had an issue with the Nikki <laughs> More ASH. often than not. It- yeah, I, exactly. And I, that's why I... That's that's kind of the source of my issue with the Nikki A.S.H. Charlotte start to, to Raw last week. Because you're starting the show by putting the mic in the hands of talent who, whether it's necessary or not, they are two talents who you can tell are very scripted. You know what I'm saying? They are like, this is yeah. what you're going to do. There's not a lot of freedom of like, with MVP, you get the feeling they give him a general idea, he can go out and just work. And he's trusted to do that. We need the mic in the hands of people like that, or maybe you need to push the people who you haven't trusted to do that. Maybe you need to force yourself to have some trust in them, to let them dig and find what it really is. But who... I feel like it takes years for them to give that to somebody. I don't even know who they would even do that with. You never know who could have it in them more than you think. Like, I wonder... Like I wonder whether a a Carmella could have more of that than you think. Um, I wonder whether a you know a Naomi could have more of that than you think. Um, I may- think so. I think there's some people who can, but it's just like we would give them that trust, and I just don't see the office giving them that trust. And I especially see it as a thing where like if they get that trust, they're on thin ice for a while. We're like one fumble and stumble and it's snatched right away and they're back to like, I need you to say every, take a pause at every comma. <laughs> you know what I mean? Say this exactly how it is on the page. Let's uh, let's do something we have not done in a while, SUG, and that is... Mail. What are your thoughts? Oh, I love it. This is a brilliant idea. Haven't done this in a very long time. We kept we kept lying to them about <laughs> doing this. Yeah, here, so I'm going to try to burn through stuff. Dan writes us. Mail. Please discuss the issues with Peacock on the podcast. WWE Network allowed you to start a live-streamed event from the beginning while it was running. It also to rewind and pause, just like you would with the DVR. Peacock's live stream does not have this available. Whether it's an intended omission or technological limitation, it's infuriating. Because I'm, I find myself having to wait until after the event is over to watch it. I had the outcomes of almost every Money in the Bank match spoiled by social media. From WWE themselves in some cases. Luckily, it was well done enough to, st- to still want to watch it in its entirety. WWE is pushing fans away with this. By the way, they had a major glitch. At least when I was watching in the main part of Money in the Bank SGG. Yeah, same. Uh, it was about, the cock was down for about a few minutes. I think during the the during men's... the entrances, thank God it was like they you know they announced the men's was gonna the men's money to make match was gonna start and then it just went down. I thought it was just me and then I 
I go on social and it was everybody, everybody's cock was not working. Uh, you know, no amount of blue chew could help it. We all just had to ride it out. Thankfully, you know, they stalled on the entrances, I'm sure. And, you know, got it going just before the opening bell. But it it was looking spooky for a little while with, with Peacock. And I agree that WWE Network just had some features. And we talked about this before, you know, that were just amazing. Just being able to jump right to the moment or the match that you want to do without having to, like, rewind and, and figure out where you're going. Is, Let's say is... one good thing about the cock th- this week. They did add a bunch of stuff. Okay, okay. So a lot of old stuff did pop up, but I'll be honest, I still find getting through it to be to be difficult. Sometimes it logs me out for no reason. It's like it says I don't have a uh, I don't have the capability. I have to kind of start over again. So there are some frustrations and limitations. Hey, me personally, the kickoff shows don't even exist on Peacock as their own thing after yeah. the show. You have to watch Which it on YouTube. Ridiculous. You either have to I, I so here's the one good thing it does. When you turn on Peacock during the kickoff show, I believe, like Money in the Bank kickoff show, I believe when you go to Peacock, it just says Money in the Bank as if Money in the Bank's already started. And then you click it and the kickoff show is on, which I like because you, you get people inadvertently probably that way also. <laughs> but, Little bait and switch never hurt nobody. But it doesn't exist afterwards. There's no collection of kickoff shows. And not only for my own ego, but matches live in those too. Like Yeah. Like they had a, they had a title change in the kickoff show last time. So... That's that's something that's got to be fixed as well. All right, do, can I read one crowd SGG email without it derailing us into a 20-minute crowd argument again? Yeah, sure. M- 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 mail. Brian's Greg versus the crowd. I assume this will be the week, and this is from 10 days ago. I assume this will be the week that SGG admits he's out of his mind for wanting to keep the Thunderdome. Barely two minutes into SmackDown, we had the entire crowd singing No Chance in Hell. Then the huge pop for Edge. By the time we got to Big E celebrating Money in the Bank, even SGG had to know that the live crowd is so much better. And if somehow he's still contorting his way around the obvious, does he realize that two of the best storylines in recent memory came from the crowd, quote, going into business for itself? The entire premise of the Yes movement was that the crowd would not accept anyone in the main event but Daniel Bryan. WrestleMania, <laughs> WrestleMania 30 doesn't happen the way it does if the crowd at the Rumble doesn't go into business for itself. And if that's not enough, <laughs> the whole reason for Roman Reigns' delightful heel turn, the reason he is called the head of the table and is doing all this great work right now, is that the crowd insisted on booing him as a babyface. Acknowledge the crowd, Greg. <laughs> Acknowledge them, Brian. Not bad. Not bad points. Some, some, contortion, some contortion work by Brian at the end saying that the crowd is the reason for the head of the table and the yes movement. I mean, even yes Brian movement, I'll in. take yes movement. I'll take Roman. I probably won't. Yes movement. I would have taken if I didn't read Brian's book and talk where he talks about, you know, wanting to be kept off of TV just to build that relationship with the crowd because they believed he was being screwed when he wasn't. And then them working the crowd into this, even like the hijack raw moment and those things. It was all manufactured. We got work. It was beautiful work. He's still eating off of it, but we 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 bit hook, line, and sinker. But you, so yeah. so you would argue they weren't going into business for themselves, but they did play a major part in it. That's for sure. They did play a major part in it, but it was not the crowd going into business for themselves and like derailing plans. Matthew, mail McAfee appreciation. Uh, Sweet Pete, you're one of the only places I feel I can express this, but wow, was I impressed with Pat McAfee during the Money in the Bank. 
I admittedly don't watch weekly TV, so thanks to this podcast for keeping me up to date, but do tune in for the big shows. So this is my first experience with Pat and though it was and thought it was a breath of fresh air. I thought he was knowledgeable without acting like he knew more than he did and was a fan but didn't go too far like Matt Stryker did back in the day. I think he's done for commentary what you've done for the kickoff show. Threads that middle ground of being a fan but also a professional. Does Cheap Heat agree that Pat is doing a great job? Thanks, Matt. Uh, this is a place where Dipperstein and I are on different pages. I- I'm a big McAfee fan. Um. Dip, Dip, I know, has criticisms. And I, I, listen, I can critique anyone, particularly broadcasters. Um, I think Pat needs to learn a little bit. He, he needs to learn a little bit what the big spots are. He doesn't need to go to 10 so quickly. Um, but that is sort of what the WWE product is these days. I don't even know that he has that option to, to, to balance that more. But by and large, I think Pat, for the level of experience he has, is doing an incredible job. I, I really, I think he has, I think he improves the product. Now, I don't, I think he replaced someone who also was incredibly good in Corey Graves. Um, but McAfee is different. He, it's shocking that he's been doing it for as little time as he has. And then when you're there live in show, they showed it on TV this week, the McAfee minute where he hypes up the crowd. Like, he he really works the crowd into a frenzy. You know when I realized how smart Pat McAfee was? This is when I realized how smart he was. At the smack at the first SmackDown back, when they did the introductions for the announcers, Pat came out to this. Oh, no, I wasn't connected. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get this right so I don't disgrace. Uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to disgrace myself. You don't want to get hate mail. No, I'm not going to disgrace myself and my family because you won't, you won't, I don't think, I don't know if you'll ever be able to hear this on WWE TV. So the least I can do is allow you to hear it here. Now, maybe one day they would pay for this if like Pat was in a storyline or something, but I have to imagine at this point, it'll be something that you only hear at live shows. So this is when I realized Pat was smart when he came out to this. <laughs> no, he didn't. He did. That's his. That's his music. It shows. That is a guaranteed pop. That is a yeah. guaranteed. It's like who doesn't know it? Who doesn't love it? It's a win. The second yeah. you hear it, you go, "Oh, this is how we're doing it." You could be a hip hop fan. You could be a rock fan. You could be into old rock. You could classic rock. Whatever you want. The second you hear that Seven Nation Army, that first riff. Even if you're like, I, I don't know how I know this song, but I know it. You're nodding your head. You're feeling good. I'm at a show. I'm at a game. I'm at, So I was like, oh, Pat is smart, man. He chose now, the guaranteed win. Now, does he let it build? Does he let it hit that crescendo? Or is he like walking out? Like, does he get to the announce table? He's like up on the announce table when it hits that. I think he gets it. I'm gonna fight all. I think he gets about a minute into it they have to be careful though because they have to they're not playing it on the air right but this usually happens they introduce the announcers like what like 10 minutes before the show starts so yeah um it's a it's a really smart move and for a lot of people man it's so interesting like i was sitting there in the crowd and it's amazing to realize how long it takes the casual fan to know what's going on when michael cole comes out they go oh, there's michael cole and i heard someone like oh here comes Corey graves here comes Corey graves 
And then it's Pat McAfee who comes out. And then I think a lot of people there realize they're like, oh, I've never seen Pat McAfee in person. I like him from his podcast. I remember him as a football player. I liked him in NXT. I find him annoying from this. I They have a feeling about him. He mm-hmm. So that's one thing that just made me realize how smart he was. But the truth is he has work to do still, but I am with the, the, the writer on this. I think Pat does a damn good job. Yeah, unanimous decision on that one. Um, I think Pat's doing great. He could. He, I think he could do this for as long as he's interested. Um, let's uh, take another one. Mail. Um. Oh, here's one for Rosenberg in defense of Stack Guy Greg. Peter, it was a pleasure meeting you and Natalie in Houston. It was truly the highlight of my night. Production rushed you off before I got a chance to say that Real Late is amazing. Snake Eyes and Next Chamber are absolute bangers. Oh, this guy Gary is a great guy. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful human being. One, absolutely wonderful. And then he's defending you. I mean, this guy's covering yeah. everyone. What a baby face. <laughs> great guy. He is a great guy. In defense of SUG, there was a moment for uh, in the Charlotte-Ripley match where the crowd started chanting, we want Becky. And it made me think about SUG's take on keeping the Thunderdome. Flair and Ripley, two superstars in the prime of their career, were having a solid match. By the way, they had a very good match in that pay-per-view. But the fans were chanting for something else, not satisfied with what was in front of them. And for a second, I could see SGG's point. Charlotte and Rhea must have heard the chants because they made the fans respect them after that point, turning it up to another level and making the fans chant, this is awesome, by the end of the match. Lesser superstars may may have let the chants derail the match, but they used them as fuel to propel it to a classic. Thoughts? Great, great point. Great, great. By a great guy. By a great guy. Uh, James writes us, thanks, Gary. Mail. Pete Gregg and Dip. First, thank you for the work you do for the show. I know it's a labor of love and certainly not done for the money. The Chief Heat Universe appreciates all of your efforts. That is a fact, sir. I know Greg's going to take heat on this week's show because (laughs) Friday Night Smackdown and Money in the Bank were so fun in front of people. But I hope we don't lose sight of what he's really saying, in my opinion. Telling parts of stories away from the immediate crowd reaction has some benefits. I think back to the wrestling I originally fell in love with, Primetime, Tuesday Night Titans, Saturday Nights on TBS, and WWE Superstars. All of those allowed for large parts of storytelling and basically every promo to occur away from the immediate fan reaction. Once we hit the Attitude Era, that changed. Now, the formula is to hand someone a mic and send them to the middle of the ring to tell, usually shout, their story. That's fine for established stories or the best of the best promos, but I wonder whether WWE would benefit from more backstage segments, vignettes, and the like to establish storylines and characters away from the crowd. It would also allow for exposition of storylines without the characters needing to talk in sound bites. I think the Bloodline story in particular has benefited from that a great deal. Agreed. I know that's not exactly what Greg said, but I think it's at the heart of his argument. The performers would eventually have to get over in front of the crowd, but in a hybrid model of sorts, it would prevent the WWE Universe from sabotaging a performer's storyline before it's established. WWE has a tough enough time with long-term storytelling as it is, depending on week-to-week reactions to tell them where to go only makes that worse. Keep up the, keep up the good work. Appreciate all three of you great guys do for all you do. James and Towson, good, good message. I like that, James. Greg, because he, he agreed with you, but also said, let me help Greg because he doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> um hold on there was someone who wanted to um oh this is, i see a couple of good ones here happy birthday to a great guy thank you joe i appreciate yeah. that 
Uh, Eric says, "Damn, I've listened to Cheap Heat since the Grantland days. The last episode was possibly the best one ever. What a promo! Absolutely amazing. Bleep the haters. Keep doing what you do. Thank you, Eric. Love it. Um, here's another one about last week's show, Jose." As a long-time listener of the show, I had to chime in on something Peter said this week that bothered me. But first, it's got to be said. Anyone that thinks Peter is a WWE shill has not actually been a listener of the podcast. If anything, he's been nothing but objective. Um, I would dare to say the most objective in this podcast. No offense. However, Peter, love you, man. But there are times when your opinion is attacked that you turn straight heel and maybe some nozzle, even though you aren't one. Just because people don't agree with you. <laughs> doesn't make them unfit to speak about wrestling or jobless losers. <laughs> you have to have seen many respected people also hated Raw and especially carrying Cross debut, including Bully Ray, Tommy Dreamer, other podcasts, etc. So to simply say you guys don't know bleep because you're not in the industry is a lame move. Pro wrestling has to be the only industry where the paying consumer is constantly being told they don't know what they're talking about. And force-fed stuff, they clearly communicated that they hate. Any other industry, the consumer is actually being courted. Case in point, Goldberg. No one wants that bleep. The fans have rejected him for years, yet he's being forced down their throat. How many years do the fans have to boo Roman until they finally turned him? Look how amazing it's turned out. Anyways, last point. My biggest issue with this podcast is that you guys clearly don't watch NXT, AEW, but then argue with people who do watch them. Also, you ignore that since NXT decided to call itself a third brand, more wrestlers have been ruined slash buried. Every NXT champ... Since the third brand declaration has been buried, except for Balor, who actually came back, so not sure it counts. Look it up. Andrade, Aleister Black, Keith Lee, Cross. Though it's early. To act like... Cole, Johnny Gargano. Well, they're still... But I think he means buried on the main roster. To act like a lot of people have been mishandled, um, buried, forgotten, after coming to Raw or SmackDown would be disingenuous, especially since NXT stopped being called developmental. Just feels like WWE will bring in... Uh, someone for a storyline really quick, not even care about what made them work in NXT, then dump them. Look how they're ruining Rhea. This is still the best podcast, though. Hope to see you guys in Vegas. Oh, we will see you in Vegas, that's for sure. Thank you, Jay. I hear you. Sometimes that's the thing about, you know, attacking back. Your your The stance is OD because you're tired of OD reactions. What you can't get caught up in is being offended if I'm not... Speaking to you, I didn't say that everybody who had an opinion about carrying cross was an idiot who didn't know anything. What I said was the people who expressed it the way they did a lot of times were clearly people who don't know. And when I read headlines in on on dirt sheets like carrying cross said to be in good spirits spirits after losing a match, I have to chuckle at the the disconnect between what is really going on. And I know that sounds a little bit snooty, like, oh, I'm there, I know. I get that. I was probably surprised by it at first, too. But after a while of learning it, you're like, oh, man, I we really as fans don't see this the same way others do. That doesn't make it right for me to call people names, and I certainly wouldn't do that to anyone who didn't have an attitude or act like a nozzle with me. But I hear what you're saying. Um, and I, I listen, I talked to Westside Gun today. He was talking about the carrying cross situation. And I told him straight up, I'm like, listen, I don't see the carrying cross thing as a big deal. Here's the here's the biggest disconnect, though. It's it's one loss, though. One loss isn't buried. But one I, loss isn't buried. So that that's that's a thing too. Like everyone freaked out without seeing how it plays out. And yeah. and there's a lot of sensitivity around NXT. But SGG, we hear from people every week on the K show 
who want the Yankees to be something that they're not. You guys want Raw and SmackDown to really care about and respect NXT. And they're like, oh, but he brought the title there. Yeah, I know. He brought the title because he's champion. They're going to include that. It's a nice little accoutrement, of course. They didn't bring Scarlet, but what right. I, I am... I Dead am, in the water without Scarlet, too. I, I'm watching the show. I'm watching the show year after year. And what I'm seeing is you you practically gave us the answer in that email when you said since the since it's been announced as no longer being the third brand, but essentially it's gone back to being more of a developmental space to some degree. Understand, it gives people a look, but obviously they don't care about what worked in NXT. And just like I said last week, you know, as JBL said to me, everyone's over in NXT. And of course he doesn't mean everyone, but what he means is it is such a different world. And I think people just, you don't have to like it, and I admit I'm not the biggest NXT person, particularly over the last year. Yeah. But you just have to accept it. I mean, you, you can still be mad about it every week if you want. I guess knock yourself out. But that's just not how they're viewing NXT right now. So, like, either wrap your head around it or don't. But to me, Greg, if you watch regularly, you can see NXT is a place that can give you an opportunity. But they're not honoring every bit of how you were treated by the NXT fans when you get to Raw or SmackDown. Right. And I do have to push back a little bit too on the fact that, you know, the podcast as a collective doesn't watch NXT. Because I do watch NXT. I come here all the time. I sing the praises of Legato, Hit Row, stories that they have going on down there. But the idea that NXT talent is buried on the main roster and then you cherry pick guys like um, Andrade and Aleister Black and people who showed up before they were named the third brand, but then want to ignore guys like Biggie, who has the Money in the Bank briefcase, or Rhea and Bianca, who um, Rhea came up from NXT, was the runner-up in the Royal Rumble. They both became women's champion. You ignore the fact that two NXT stars got called up, put together in a tag team, and have two wins over your women's tag team champion. Plus Tony Storm got a big debut last Friday. (laughs) Right, and you ignore all of that because Karrion Cross, the NXT champion, took one loss, and like that's the thing that fits into your narrative. Like, I hear what he's saying that, yes, if you look back at recent men's champions, it's not a great record for their run. But also, we have to understand that we don't understand really what happened with Aleister Black. Because he was in the middle of getting built up to come back with full-on story building. Like, they were running vignettes. It was a whole thing. And then he was not no longer there. So And Andrade, too, was a victim of circumstance, right? Because, you know, the pandemic hit. And that, that changed everything. Because right before the pandemic hit, he has a championship. I think he even was in contention for the Raw Tag Team Championship. Had a little stable going. And then he loses Zelina and that changes things. So he's just a victim of circumstance because same thing with Zelina. Her release came out of nowhere. It wasn't a, like a burial. It just came out of nowhere. Here's uh, Tyson. Male. Stat, Pete, dip. Chill out on your repug rants. Yes, like 80% of the main roster has been in NXT. So it would be hard to bury all of them. I think you missed the point. It's not that Vince hates NXT at all. It's that he doesn't care about storyline continuity. I know you acknowledge WWE NXT are separate universes, but why? The worst ever was Ciampa and Gargano. After their blood feud just randomly tagging on Raw before they got sent back down, you could argue those two are still recovering from that. I will agree that one was very weird. 
That, yeah, that was egregious. We said that at the time. And too, I, I remember that's what I was living in my Repug apartment by myself, miserable. I remember that. They I was like, why are they here? It was like a random night in Topeka, Kansas. And they announced like these two <laughs> yeah. indie guys, not in Brooklyn, not in Philly, not in Chicago, not in Toronto, not in LA. They did it like in the middle of nowhere. It was yes, the, I admit that was no. And they announced that they were back together as a tag team. Bizarre. And gave them a couple, it was it was yeah yeah. So point on cross is better for him, sure. Better for our SummerSlam, yeah, probably. Better for NXT, I can't see how. Continually does matter down there. Continuity does matter down there, and having a lame duck champ affects the product. Which brings it back to the point that Vince doesn't really care about NXT, or else he would respect at least somewhat the fact that his son-in-law does care about continuity and long-term storytelling. Pretending they're separate entities. Um, NXT does everything for WWE, and WWE does almost nothing for NXT. Anything I said there incorrect? Uh, keep keep staying and staying mage. Stay mage galore. Kubi. Um, <laughs> Kubi, the galore. only thing I would say is... Um, the point you made... Better for NXT, I can't see how. That's the point I just made. They don't care about better for NXT. And you're right. The- but but he may be right about that. But, they, but I mean, get the hint. That is the third priority. It's, but here's it- the thing, though. NXT is not made for people to stay. Now, granted, there are people who want to be NXT lifers, but it's ma- it was made for people to come up. So is it is it good for NXT that somebody does something amazing down there and then they get clock and go to the main roster and have to suddenly start back at zero. I think we need to think about it the way WWE is thinking about it. They're separate universes. They're disconnected because the continuity, you can't take it to the main roster without taking everybody there. If, if somebody gets plucked and they're feuding with somebody in NXT, they have no choice but to start over on the main roster. And then also plucking them, let somebody up else come through and rise up the ranks. Like if Drew and Andrade and Keith Lee and all these people were in NXT. Where's the room for like a guy like Adam Cole or Johnny Gargano? Or even like if Seth and Biggie and Asuka and Bianca and all these people are in NXT, then it's just bloated. Now the one people part I'll disagree with the one part I'll disagree with you on. I don't think you can tell fans of it to not care about continuity. I mean, I am telling them that, but just for their own sanity. They don't have to like it. They have the right to think it's stupid. Yeah. Yeah, of, of course. I'm and saying most of the it time just. It is. I'm most just. Yeah. Time. I. I most, listen. Let me be clear. Most of the time, I think it would make sense to keep as much continuity as you can. That's yeah. a. That's a slight disagreement from where I felt about carrying cross, where I thought there's an interesting story to be told about this dominant champion having a match stolen from him by a legend. I don't think that's terrible. That. That is to me. That becomes an argument of what burying is, and you guys. One loss is not burying. You need. You need at least months of losses that are inexplainable nonsensical for it to be buried or or just so many consistently that it's like this person just doesn't matter anymore yeah and even at that point it's probably not buried burying is you don't see the dude that's buried um let's hit a couple more here's how let's just a positive one from adam male major one sgg and dip this is purely an appreciation post for the three of you I've listened to the show since the beginning, from the time with the maker of fine footwear and through every new era, and every time a new episode pops into my feed, I get amped. My wife, who's a great guy, 
thinks it's a little bizarre, though, because I haven't actually watched wrestling on TV in the last two-plus years, and yet I still listen to a wrestling podcast religiously every week. I've been a WWE fan since I was a kid, but became hashtag with a life over the last few years, and I'm expecting a little girl in six weeks. Oh, man, congrats. Amazing. Congratulations, yeah. I still keep up with all the happenings in WWE through blogs and Twitter, but my biggest source of enjoyment is listening to you guys each week. Your personality, stories, catchphrases, and chemistry are top-notch, and I hope you guys keep it going and going. Also, I've been clamoring for Dip to be a regular co-host on the show for quite some time, and now that he's there every week, I have to say it just hits different a thousand percent. <laughs> keep up the great work and don't listen to the haters. Adam, P.S., I've also watched The Challenge for 20-plus years, and Greg's right, you're missing out. Great show. You know what? Stop yourself. <laughs> 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 um, a thousand percent and by the way apologies dip was supposed to be here um this week but he our schedules are annoying i have to go back to stanford we're recording this on a thursday i am doing talking smack again on friday so it just made the week hectic and also like i want i, I haven't even ever stated this out loud but just to be totally truthful because I, I i i fully i i lift the curtain um I want Dip to basically be be here every week, but I still need to account for A, the times when he's just not able to do it, and B, for the excitement of him popping in. Like I don't I don't want it to be a gift. You guys say, and of course, you know, with good reason, Dip makes the podcast better, for sure. You know, the conflict between SGG and Dip is is gold. He's hate him. He's funny. He's he's great. But, you know, it's like you're having an affair with a woman, right? She's married. You're single. This is the best. I mean, you've you've thrown morals out the window. You're just living a great life. <laughs> she claims the marriage is ending soon. And you're like, oh, that sounds awesome, babe. I can't wait till you're out of that dead-end marriage with that loser. We're going to have the best time ever. That's Dip right now. You guys are all having an affair with Dip. But that day when she shows up, with her Honda Civic filled to the brim with clothes and crap, old magazines, a framed diploma, you know, childhood toys, LJN figures. It's all filled to the brim of the car, and she knocks on the door, sweaty, hair in a ponytail, and she goes, I did it. I did it, babe. I left. I'm never going back. I'm all yours. I'm here every night. And you're like, every night? that's right i'm here every night it's just me and you i will be here every time when you wake up when you go to sleep every vacation every breakfast every lunch we're going to be together every minute and then you're like i don't know i think we had a pretty good thing going the way things were so that's a thousand percent you know i want to keep dip that affair (laughs) you're all having that when he shows up as my friend shawnee culture says love without responsibility is amazing Right. But once the responsibility, <laughs> right. and by the way, and Dip, I'm tricking Dip more too. Because Dip loves doing the podcast more because he's not an official host of the podcast. He's just the guest every week. So he shows up whenever he wants. If he's busy one week, it doesn't matter. Everyone, I think, ends up winning. And let's be realistic. At this point, what do you get, Dip? 75%, 80% of the episodes? Something like that? Yeah, it's, it's still a good... A good uh... Good amount. By the way, what a long way Dip has come. Do you remember? I mean, you too, but that goes without saying because you've now been a a very proficient coach for a long time. But do you remember when Dip, like, first started popping up at the WrestleMania specials and he'd be like, 
hey guys, I'm really excited for the podcast. I'm really excited for the SummerSlam this weekend. It wasn't quite that bad, but he was so far from what he is now. So far. He was all quiet on the mic. Like, he had a tendency to be really quiet, and it was just, it's very, it's been very interesting to watch his, uh, his abilities grow, his comfort on the mic grow. Although, when I do hand him a real mic, all of a sudden, I can tell he's lost again. He's like, how do I hold this? What do I do? You said he has a thing with technology. He doesn't. Oh, my God. I want to get him a mic. What are you, what are you using, SGG? Like the most basic of basic mics. I have the short um, SM58, but I don't use that. I use like an Amazon basic that plugs right into the computer. It plugs into your Apple? You have yeah. a Mac or a PC? You have Mac? Mac. Will you just send me the recommendation? Because it totally does the job and we need something that's dip proof. This is dip proof. Yeah, it is. It doesn't have to deal with like a, a separate recorder or anything. Like those stuff is that stuff is fun, but dip just needs the plug and go. Like, yeah, like the thing is, when you use your Shore mic, you sound better, but not better enough that it's easier to have you send me your audio every week. Because when we do it this way, just lift up the curtain more in something really boring. The way we've been doing it now, SGG plugs in his little crappy mic, and I just record him live, and I don't have to deal with the stuff later. So if Dip had one of your mics, he would already improve 90%. (laughs) I'm going to send it direct to Dip. Or should I just send it to you? Send it to me. Send it to me. I I can't even trust him to order it correctly. So all he has to do is plug it in, and then when he goes to Zoom, select that as his microphone. Zoom will do it for him. It's even, it's even, <laughs> e- it's even easy. Okay, right, this should be this should be very doable. Um, all right, guys, tune in to Talking Smack this week. I will say I, I, I don't know if anyone got a chance to watch it. Talking Smack last week, and not just because I was on it, but because of the interviews that Kayla did. She did a lot. The interviews felt like podcast interviews. They felt like shoots last week, except for Baron Corbin, which was just hilarious. Um, yes, sad Corbin is probably my favorite Corbin. Corbin saying the fact that he didn't want the interview to leave, end. They tried to wrap it up, and he's like, "Oh, so now you're just gonna leave?" Like to me, like he does these little <laughs> things. The fact that he said, the fact that he said he, he's the stain he had on his shirt. And which was, by the way, way too obvious a stain, but that's me nitpicking. But the the stain on his shirt, he was like, yeah, I, I found this can of spaghetti and I didn't have a can opener, so I just banged it into the sidewalk <laughs> until it opened and I spilled some on me. Now, question, do you think this is going to lead to like a double turn? Like he's going to end up being the sympathetic baby face with Kevin Owens or something and then he's going to turn on Kevin Owens and go back? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I have no idea. By SummerSlam, what do you expect? My feeling is now it'll be KO and Corbin in a tag team of some sort against, uh, who is it, Dolph? The, the Dirty Dogs, Dolph and uh, Robert Roode. So my that's my guess for SummerSlam is, is KO and Corbin against the Dirty Dogs, right? But see, this thing could go past SummerSlam, though, like you said. No, that's the start. See... That would, be, that would yeah. be them getting, you know, to be a team. Because we're already less than a month from SummerSlam. And as of right now, on last week's episode of SmackDown, all we did was see KO give him some money and feel bad for him and then scare off Ziggler and Rude. So they haven't even done a thing together yet, right? No, it was literally just that. So this would be the week that maybe you see them grow a little further. Then we have two weeks till SummerSlam. You get a match announced for something. It could even be a kickoff show match. It might. Listen, that's a good way to do it, though. And then... Cause heel KO, maybe face KO is cool. Oh, you 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 meant KO turning on Corbin? 
if, if he who who has he not turned on though? Who has teamed up with Kevin Owens and lived to tell the tale without it ending? And then he turned on me. It's a great point. <laughs> That's the end of everybody's KO friendship story. That would be very funny Every though. Person. That would be very funny if it, you thought it was KO helping Corbin and, and the f- audience really fell in love with Corbin because he's so funny and sympathetic. And then KO, who'd seemed like the good guy in it, turned out was like stealing from the Corbin fund and took everything from him. <laughs> Yo, okay. KO embezzling from the Corbin fund would be hilarious. Have you been to the Corbin fund website? I have. I went that first night. Is it CorbinFund.com? It's CorbinFundMe, I think. CorbinFundMe.com? Yeah, CorbinFundMe.com. CorbinFund.com. Targeted goal, $100,000. <laughs> Due to financial difficulties, this page is currently under construction. <laughs> wait, wait. He's too poor to even have a GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah. Due to financial difficulties, this page is currently under construction. However, Baron Corbin finds strength in the ongoing support and prayers from the WWE Universe and looks forward to your donations soon. Yo, the pictures they have of him. Oh, my God. I don't like that when they wanted to start making Corbin look really poor and pathetic, they gave him my haircut. <laughs> it's not exactly exact, exactly a haircut, but I feel like he could still look poor, pathetic with the proper baldy, though. I know. Like, he could, this, he could, this, but... is get, this is way out of head. Like he can't even get a haircut. Uh, SGG, do you have black power rankings this week? I do. Triple H jerking the Undertaker off. Wrong button. Oh, oh my God. I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all. I'm blickety black, blacker than black, black, I'm blacker than black, yo, because I'm black and I'm black, yo, I'm black and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black and I'm black, y'all. You alluded to it earlier today, um, earlier on the podcast, I should say, you and I, we joined the Black Wrestling Podcast for a little guest spot. Um, We were there for a while, about, I want to say 45 minutes, almost an hour. Uh, We got into a lot of stuff, so they're they're getting the, the spot for the Black Power Rankings all on their own, the Black Wrestling Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's me, Rosenberg. Um, we joined Math, Cal, Fam, and Davis, their calls. And we got into a lot. I know you mentioned the Stone Cold thing that we talked about, but it really, it, we, we hit on so many topics. It's, it's too numerous to mention. If you're from the state of Maryland, there's some heavy, heavy, heavy Maryland talk. There um, really the was. Podcast. I did not expect how much Maryland talk there was going to be. I almost want to call the podcast the Super Maryland Brothers after that one. Ooh, how much po- how much Maryland podcast talk you guys got into? But um, yeah, it was really fun. I had a great time. I know you had a great time, so I want everybody to go check that out. Um, definitely go subscribe to Black Wrestling. Great podcast, really funny. Really enjoyed that conversation. Actually, shout out to all those guys. That was a good time. Um, SGG, uh, make sure you tune in to Talking Smack this weekend, please. Oh, appointment viewing. Appointment viewing, please. And also do me a favor and enjoy yourself. Stay mage, P. It's professional wrestling. <laughs>